It's great to see you all. Andy has already welcomed you, and we're thrilled you're here this morning. And um, we're going to dive right into the Word of God, and then um, we're going to finish up with worship. Is that okay? Amen. Praise God. We're in the latter weeks of a series that we've been doing that's been called RE, and um, the, the reason we've used just the words RE is that every week we've taken a word um, that now would represent the work and power of the Holy Spirit that begins with RE, and, and we've talked about the different aspects of Holy Spirit's work um, in our world, and especially in our lives and in our church. This morning we are going to look at the word rejoice and we're going to be talking about worship. Now let me start by saying that worship is the highest calling of mankind. Uh, we have no higher calling than to worship God. If you can get this right, you'll get everything right. If it is that you will now see worship as your highest calling, you will now find that everything else falls into place. You know, the vision of our church, our vision statement, is that we exist for others to know Jesus or who Jesus is. And, um, and we do. That is what we believe. We believe we exist for others to know Jesus. It's the driving force behind our church uh, that we believe that there are others who need to know Jesus, come closer to Jesus, and we exist for that to happen. But there's something bigger than our vision statement, and uh, that if we don't get this right, will mean our attempts to introduce others to Jesus um, will actually be almost useless. If we don't get this right, our attempts to tell others of Jesus will just be very tepid and very useless. You see, we exist firstly to worship God. Now I'm going to be going to two scriptures. The first one is found in the book of Philippians and chapter 3. And um, uh, let me read it to you. It's from verse 1. Finally, my brethren, rejoice in the Lord. For me to write the same things to you is not tedious, but for you it is safe. Beware of dogs, beware of evil workers, beware of the mutilation. For we are the circumcision who worship God in the Spirit. Rejoice in Christ Jesus and have no confidence in the flesh. Now there's a lot of words in that verse that we could go to. What's the whole deal about beware of dogs? Well, I'm not going to go to that this morning. <laughs> and there's lots of stuff in there that we could go to. But right now, I just want you to get the words, we worship God in the Spirit. And see, if, uh, if we allow Holy Spirit to help us... He will take us to a whole new place of worship. If we open our hearts and lives to him, he will open up to us a vast new area of worship that maybe we've never touched. Because, hear it again, worship is the highest calling of mankind. 
All human beings are worshippers. We are all worshippers. You either worship the one true God or someone or something else, but we are all worshippers. None of us live our lives without worshipping. We all worship something. Some people worship themselves. And you'll know about it whenever you talk to them. There are others who worship their families. There are others who worship their stuff. But our belief here is that if you truly know Jesus and are led by Holy Spirit, your highest worship goes to God. So that now you, you know from the beginning of your day that your life now is a life that is lived in worshiping God. Your highest worship goes to God. So if you want a simple definition of worship, and worship in the context of when we meet together, worship is expressing our love towards God. Very simple. Worship is expressing our love towards God. You know, one of the questions that we get asked by um, anyone who is looking to be a part of a worship team here is, is what, it, what does it mean to be a part of the worship team? And we come back with a question and we say, well, why do you want to be a part of one of our worship teams? Now, if you come back and say, because I like performing, how many know that's not a good answer? Or if you come back and you say, well, I like to sing, that's not a good answer. If it is that you say, well, you know, I've, I've learned my instrument well, and I, I like playing my instrument, that's not a good answer. See, um, it's fun being on a worship team, but if you would talk to any of our worship team people who have been around the worship teams here for a long time, they will tell you that the fun soon runs out. Uh, yeah, uh, you see, the fact is this, that um, you find that the commitment level of being on a worship team is very high you soon find out that the practice time and the demands that are now in place for you to be a part of the worship team are very high. And unless you are called by God to be a worshiper, unless it is that you have it in your heart that you are worshiping God when you are on a worship team, unless it is that you realize that you have been called by God to sing or to play an instrument, you won't last long on our worship team. The fun soon runs out. You see, it's a calling. See, worship... It has to be at the base of who we are as individuals and who we are as a church. If it doesn't all come out of worship, there's something wrong. If there's something else that's motivating us doing what we are doing around here, whether it's on a worship team, whether it's serving in any area of service in this building, whether it's serving in the Dream Center, whatever it is, if it is not based out of our worship of God, then it will all lose its fun level and it will soon become a very difficult thing unless it is that you're doing it because I'm worshiping God and I'm putting God right at the center of my life it goes for every part of our worship you see when you see your ministry 
as worship, then you will serve as long as he leads. When you see your place of service, where you're serving in the church, where, where it is that you may be working with the children's ministry or the youth ministry, or you're, you're now one of those who are greeting and welcoming you or an usher around you, or, or, or maybe it is that you are part of other ministries in the church, or if it is that you are now doing it for any other reason than that you are worshipping God and that it is service to Him first before it is service to others it will soon run dry you will soon lose your feel about it you will soon lose your enthusiasm about it because worship is the highest calling of mankind oh no oh no you, you don't just serve behind the counter at the coffee shop you serve God behind the counter at the coffee shop oh yeah you don't just greet people as they come in you worship God and you greet people as they come in the fact is this that you don't just stand on the stage and sing and play your instrument no no you stand on the stage and you worship God and you sing and you play your instrument it's all worship to God first you're not just an elder of the church you're worshiping God and you're an elder at the church the fact is that everything that we do is based out of the fact that God is first that we are worshiping him in everything that we do and everything that we touch that it is we're saying it's for you it's not for men it's for you so I had this little question what produces worship what produces worship and, I, and I, I want to take you to a story in the Bible that I think will help us answer the question. And it's found in the Gospel of Luke chapter 17. It, it says there, though it happened, that as he went to Jerusalem, that he passed through the midst of Samaria and Galilee. Then as he entered into a certain village, there met him ten men who were lepers who stood afar off. And they lifted up their voices and said, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. So when he saw them, he said to them, Go show yourselves to the priests. And so it was that as they went, they were cleansed. And one of them, when he saw that he was healed, returned and with a loud voice glorified God and fell down on his face at his feet, giving him thanks. And he was a Samaritan. So Jesus answered and said, were there not ten cleansed? But where are the nine? Were there not any found who returned to give glory to God except this foreigner? And he said to him, arise, go your way. Your faith has made you well. So this story is known, of course, to any who read the Bible. It's known as the story of the ten lepers. I want you to note that all ten of them were desperate, desperate men. It says that they lifted up their voices when they knew Jesus was around. You see, Jesus didn't simply respond to a call. He responded to the desperate call. It was the desperate call of these men that God got Jesus' attention. I want you to know that Jesus always responds to the desperate call. 
He always responds to people who are desperately in need and desperate for him to step in. I want to tell you, if you've wandered into this place today and you're desperate to hear from God, you are desperate for God to meet your need, you're in the right place. This is a place where Jesus responds to the desperate call of people as they cry out to him. We have seen it happen over and over and over again. You're in a great place this morning. He always responds to the desperate call. But here's the amazing part of the story. Ten were healed, but only one worshipped God. Ten were healed, but there was only one that came back to Jesus. And actually it shocked Jesus and he asked the question, where are the others? Now, now this may shock you. Now, now of course, you say, uh, well, he's not talking to me. But, but this will shock you. But, you know, only a minority of people will actually worship Jesus here this morning. Oh, oh yeah, oh, yeah, it, it is that there are all sorts of reasons why people come to church you see, there are those who, who come along and they will worship fellowship. They, they just enjoy the meeting with people and they will worship fellowship more than they will worship God. And, and then there are others who come and they'll worship the music. It's the music that's everything to them. And they'll worship the music more than they are worshiping God. There are others who worship their time. You see, the fact is that there are people who turn up for church and they're just doing their religious thing. They're getting their religious timing. They're concerned about what people will think about them if they don't go to church. They're concerned about what the pastor will think if he don't turn up. And they worship in their time. And actually, they're waiting for the time to get to 10.30 right now. And they worship in the clock. But this guy, in this story, got it right. He came back and worshipped Jesus. So can I suggest to you what produces worship? And what produces worship is gratitude produces worship. Say that with me. Gratitude produces worship. Look at verse 15 and 16 again. It says, And one of them, when he saw that he was healed, returned and with a loud voice glorified God, fell down on his face and at his feet, giving him thanks, and he was a Samaritan. The guy who had healed had been, uh, was healed had been healed from leprosy. And it says... That with a loud voice he glorified God. What I wondered was this. Was it appropriate for this man to do what he did after he was healed? I mean, it says that with a loud voice he glorified God. Well, was that appropriate in front of the Son of God? For him to shout with a loud voice in front of the Son of God? 
And then it says he fell down on his face, giving him thanks. And so it means that he was prostrate on the floor in front of him, on his face, giving thanks. Now, is that appropriate? Is that appropriate in front of the Son of God? God's, God's Son on earth, is it appropriate for this guy to be on his face giving thanks? But not only that, it not only says that he was a leper, but it says that he was a Samaritan. Now, you've got to understand that a Samaritan was hated by the Jews. The Jews hated the Samaritans. He was from outside of the clan. And now I ask the question, was it appropriate for this foreigner to shout and now get on his face before the Son of God? Well, a better question would be this. The better question would be, does the Bible say that this, it's okay for this man to do what he did? Uh, what does the Bible say about it? Well, well uh, the, the Bible does say something about it, and it says that, sure, it is appropriate that he did what he did. The Old Testament, which, by the way, was the only book they had back then. The New Testament hadn't been written, of course, and, and now in the Old Testament, the fact is that as you go into the Old Testament, you will find that this man acted in, out his gratitude to Jesus for being healed in very appropriate ways according to the Old Testament. And, and, and when you think about it, of course he would do this. Of course he would shout. Of course he would fall on his face. Uh, the fact is, he couldn't care less that he was a foreigner. He'd been healed from his leprosy. And now he wanted to give thanks to Jesus for what had happened. In the Old Testament, it's written, of course, in the Hebrew language. And in the Hebrew language, there are more than one translations to our one word praise. So in, as you read the Old Testament, you can have the word praise, but it's in the Hebrew language, it's a different word each time. In fact, there are seven different words for praise in the Old Testament. Now, I'm going to go through them, and, um, and, and you can write them down if you like, but I, I do it on purpose because I want you to see something. The first word that I want you to note is this. It's the word tadah. It's T-O-D-A-H, which means a thanksgiving choir. All right, so it's a choir that's giving thanks, tadah. Then there's another Hebrew word that is barak, which means to kneel before God. And then there's another word that is tehillah. No, I didn't say tequila, I said tehillah. We need the spirit, but not that kind of spirit. And the meaning of the word tehila is to sing a song of thanksgiving. And then there's the word halal, H-A-L-A-L. We get our word hallelujah from this. It means to give thanks clamorously and foolishly. Isn't that crazy? It says, Hala. It means to give thanks clamorously and foolishly. You say, John, what does clamorously mean? I have no idea. But it seems to me that it means jumping, shouting, dancing, and whatever it goes to make praise. 
And then, and then there's another word, it's the word yada. It means to give thanks with extended hands. It means to lift your hands to God. And, and then there's another Hebrew word, it is the word zamar. It means to give thanks on musical instruments. And everyone who plays a guitar, drums, organ, harp, everything else says, Amen. And then there's this final word, which is Shabak. And this means to give thanks with a loud shout. Oh yeah, so as you look at these verses, as the, at these words, you see that what this guy did was very in order and was very according to the word of God. Did you know there's one Old Testament verse that has four of these words right in the one verse. It's Psalm 100 and verse 4. Let me read it to you as it is in your Bible. It says, enter into his gates with thanksgiving and into his courts with praise. Be thankful to him and bless his name. Now let me put the Hebrew words in there, and it would read like this, enter into his gates with Tadar, a thanksgiving choir, and into his courts with Tehillah, singing praises, be Yadar, thankful to him, extending your hands, and Barak, and bow before him, blessing his name. How many know that what this man did was very appropriate for considering what had happened? Now listen to me. The last thing I want to do, the last thing I want you to feel, is that I'm wanting us all to express our worship in the same way. That is not what I'm saying. I, I, I'm not saying that we should all do foolish things together. I, I, I'm not saying that we should all bow at the same time. I'm not saying that. What I am seeking to do here is to get everyone who loves Jesus and are thankful to God for your salvation. It is I'm seeking to encourage you to express your love to God. That's all I'm seeking to do here this morning is that as we go into worship that it will be that you will express your love to God. I know that we all come from different religious backgrounds. I know that we have differing gifts and we have different personalities. But all I want to do as we gather together like this is to express our love and gratitude to God. It is to now show our gratitude to Him. You know, I'm told that one of the main reasons that people don't show and express love outwardly is because of family dysfunction. I'm told that one of the main reasons is family dysfunction. I hear so many who will say, well, you know, I, I never heard the words I love you from either my father or my mother, and I find it very difficult to use those words. And then there are others who say, well, you know, we never hugged in our family. We never had that closeness in our family. It, uh, it was a dysfunction that was there. And then I rather say, you know, we were never allowed to weep or cry in our family. I, I find it very difficult to cry and to weep. And on and on the list could go of how dysfunction has affected us in our family life. But I've got news for you this morning. You're in a brand new family now. 
Oh yeah, you're not in your old family. You're in the family of God now. And let me tell you something. Let me tell you something. You have been adopted into the family of God. Your spiritual father is not dysfunctional. Oh yes, oh yes, he's not dysfunctional. Let me tell you something else as well. The fact is that you are here this morning and we are the church, we are the bride of Christ and our husband Jesus is not dysfunctional either, friends. I'm not saying that we have to do all the same things and do everything the same way. But God has done something in our lives. If God has done anything for you, then surely you should express your love to him. You should express your thankfulness to him. You should express your gratitude to him. You see, I don't feel that we should ever come together. And if you're a lover of Jesus, that you refuse to express your love to Jesus. Oh, I don't care what the church has done to you. I don't care what the people have done to you. I don't care what your family have done to you. The fact is that Jesus has done nothing but good to you. And he deserves your worship. He deserves you magnifying his name. He deserves you lifting him high. This This guy his gratitude to Jesus drew worship from him. Well, then I quickly, I was asked, I, I tried to answer the question, well, what produces gratitude? And the only thing I could come from this story was, miracles produce gratitude. Look at verse 15 again. When he saw that he was healed, he returned and with a loud voice glorified God. And so he was healed, a miracle happened, and now he was grateful. How many of you would say, if I was healed from leprosy, I'd be grateful too? How many would be honest and say, yeah, if I was healed from leprosy, I'd be grateful too? Of course we would. I don't feel that just looking at this miracle on the surface does it credit to what a huge miracle it was for this man. We don't understand what leprosy is about these days because leprosy is, is not a thing of the past, but there's medications and everything that's going on that can be dealt with with leprosy. You know, until the early 1950s, it was thought to just be a disease that rotted the flesh. But the true fact is, is that with this disease, the nerve ends in your fingers die and your body begins to rot. And back in Jesus' time, what would happen, there would a smell come from the rotting that would attract mice and rats that would come and gnaw at the rotted parts of your hand while you were asleep. And there's no feeling. You would not know it's going on. And so now further disease would get into your body and, and the thing would go from bad to worse. And now it would become an infectious disease. In Jesus' day, there was no cure to leprosy. Once you got leprosy in Jesus' day, you were an outcast. You were now separated from your family. You couldn't go near your family. You could no longer hold down a job because you could not be around other people because this disease was so contagious. If you got leprosy and you were married, you'd have to leave your wife and children and never be around them ever again. You could never hold your wife close again. 
And you could never kiss your kids goodnight again. Never. You always had to be a certain distance by law. You had to be a certain distance from anyone else who didn't have the disease. And if you broke the law and you got close to people, you would now be put to death. If you were walking down the street and other people who didn't have the disease were coming towards you, you had to cross over and you had to walk shouting, unclean, unclean, unclean. And people would run and separate from you because you were unclean. You know, as I thought about this this week, I thought if there's anyone in our church that had such a past that they would have had to have shouted unclean, that would have been me. But one day Jesus came by. And one day Jesus came by me the same way that he came by this man with leprosy. I want to tell you, I got healed as well by the power of Jesus. So let me ask you the question this morning. If you were this man who is now separated from your family by your disease, separated from your friends by your disease, now you couldn't be a productive part of society because of the disease. But suddenly your desperate cry was heard and Jesus now healed you. I want to ask you this. Would you worship Jesus? Hey, we're not afraid of voices here. Would you worship Jesus if you were this man? Okay, okay. You you say you would worship him. Well, let me tell you something. Whoever you are today, you are surrounded by people who had spiritual leprosy. Wherever you are in this building, there are people who once in a while gone by, they had spiritual leprosy. We all had this disease that was called sin. Separated us from Father God. It wrecked our lives and left us lonely and sad and broken. It destroyed our hope and destroyed our peace. We walked through life as if something was missing, something was broken on the inside of us. It wrecked our relationships, it ruined some of our marriages, and it messed up some of our kids. And we walked around with no hope of eternal life. We walked around with the sure, certain knowledge that if we should die or Jesus come back, that we would go to hell forever. And it left us in a place feeling unclean. You don't need a preacher to tell you you're sinners. We didn't need a preacher to tell us we were sinners. We knew it deep on the inside. But many here today can tell you of the day when in desperation we called out to Jesus and he heard our desperate cry 
and he began to move in on our lives. He forgave our sin. He healed our relationship between us and God. And now he brought peace into our lives. And now he began working to put our lives back together. Oh, we may not be what we should be, but we're not what we used to be because he's been working on our lives and he works on on our lives. Now let, let me ask you here, Christians, I, I want every of you to be honest right now. How many of you here would say, my life was changed for the better when Jesus found me, when he came and he heard my desperate cry, when he came and rescued me, and he picked me up out of the gutter of sin, and he gave me hope again. Our lives were changed when Jesus came into our lives. How many would say, hallelujah, the Lord Jesus has changed my life forever. I will worship him forever and ever and ever. Hallelujah. You know, one day I was sitting here at the front. And we were just starting our worship time and someone came up to me and said you know so and so is here and the so and so that was here was a pretty high official from the city and he had come in without letting us know he was coming and I said well that's okay I heard a voice say to me as I went to go into worship and I went to raise my hands but you better do that with so-and-so being here. It was a voice from outside into my mind that says, should you be lifting your hands, you know, so-and-so from the city is here. And then, and, and, and then I, I, I felt I heard this voice say, are you going to clap your hands as loudly as you, use, you usually clap your hands? It, it's going to make a little bit of a scene and so-and-so is here. Well, I only had that thought for a second because then I had this thought come to my mind. If so-and-so knew what Jesus had done for me, if so-and-so knew the hole that Jesus had dug me out of, if so-and-so knew the welcome into God's family that I've received, that I've been brought into the family of God, that I'm a child of the living God, he would understand, so-and-so would understand why I did. And that morning I decided I'm not going to just raise my hands, I'm not just going to clap, I'm going to dance my feet before the Lord because of what he has done for me. He deserves my worship. Hallelujah. Now imagine. Imagine if this leper that had been healed lived another 30 years after his healing. Now listen to me carefully. If he'd lived another 30 years after his healing, he's now been reunited with his family. He's been totally healed of his sickness. And he's walking in the high street now, a very high up and very productive man in society. Do you think 30 years later, 
He's walking down the street and Jesus is coming towards him. Do you think his worship would be any the less after 30 years than it was the day it happened? Oh, now get it. You see, you see, I, I get worried about people who lose their joy and lose their expressions of worship. I get worried about people who feel they've matured, that they've grown on, that they don't now need to raise their hands or, or clap their hands or, or dance their feet or to bow before the Lord. And they don't need to express their worship in any way at all. That it is that now they can just, uh, you can just come in and sit and, and be a part and go. And now we find they're not putting God first now. They're worshiping all the other stuff that I talked about at the beginning. I want to tell you, friends, I don't know how long you've been saved. I I don't know when Jesus rescued you, but I know he rescued me 40 old years ago. I know that he came to me where I was is 50 years ago actually, and he saved me. And I love him as much today as I did that day. I worship him as much today as I did that day. He's the same yesterday, today and forever. He deserves our worship. That leper, he said, he would have said to Jesus 30 years on, I owe the last 30 years of my life to that man. What Jesus did to me, I owe the last 30 years of my life to what he did. Well, you may say, well, if Jesus appeared here, right now I might worship him. Listen to what the Bible says. Matthew chapter 18, verse 20. For where two or three are gathered together in my name, I'm there in the midst of them. I don't know whether you realize it, Jesus is here right now. He's in this place right now. So let me ask you the question. I'm going to close out here. And we're going back into worship. But Will you worship him this morning? How many here would say he's worked a miracle in my life? I look back and he's worked some miracles in my life. Are you grateful for what he did to you? Are you grateful for what he's done for you? Oh, you say my miracle was years and years gone by. So what? He hasn't changed. If your miracle was years and years gone by, he hasn't changed. He's still the miracle worker here this morning. He's the same Jesus. I came to a service. I've told this story before, but there's so many new people here. I'll tell it again. But I came to a service many, many years ago when I was young. And for the first time, I saw people dancing before the Lord. They were just... And I looked down at them... And I said, no way, Jose. And I said inside, I will never do that. I will never dance like that. Well, let me tell you what happened. The next morning, I was in my time with the Lord that I have every morning. And, and the presence of God filled my room. And, and it, was so, it was so obvious that God was there, I actually took my shoes off. I knew I was on holy ground, and I was just standing there, worshiping the Lord, you know. And then I heard God's voice. I know God's voice. 
And I heard God's voice say, dance before me, John. And I said, I'm sorry, I don't do that. And I heard the voice say again, John, dance before me. And I said, I'm sorry, I don't do that. And tears began to come down my cheeks and I said, I'm sorry, I don't do that. And I heard God say, don't say you love me. And now you won't do what I'm asking you to do. And I lift my hands and I said, God, I'll dance before you. I'll dance before you, Lord. I love you. I adore you. You're my savior. You're my king. I'll dance before you. I'll dance before you. I'll dance before you, Lord. I'm not saying you all got to dance this morning. I'm not saying this morning that you need to clap or lift your hands. I'm not telling you to do anything. All I'm saying is I want you to express your love to God. It's just 10 o'clock and now we're going to go back into worship right now. And, and I just want you to express your love to God. Some of you may want to come and kneel at the altar. Some of you will want to raise your hand. Some of you may want to just sit there and raise your hand. So, you know, for some of you, just sitting there and raising your hands will be a huge breakthrough for you. <laughs> you see, you see, God is saying, do you love me? Do you love me? Do you love me? Do you love me? Express, express your love to me. You've already told me that miracles have happened. There are stories of miracles and miracles and miracles in this place. And now, now Jesus says, Jesus says, there is one that has come back, but where are the nine? Where are the others? I don't want you to be one of the others. I want you to be the one that says, I don't care what the others are doing. I'm going to express my love to God. I'm going to worship God with all my heart. Come on, let's get back into worship right now. Hallelujah.